In the course of our uh, three-year reading cycle here at Sunday Mass, the book of Job, our first reading here this morning, comes up only twice. Only two times in the course of three years do we hear from the book of Job. The challenge each time we hear from the book of Job, including today, is the verse, the excerpt is so short that it's really hard to get a sense of what the main focus of the book of Job is about. You can come to Sunday Mass year after year, Sunday after Sunday, and we really only get a few verses by just listening to the Sunday readings. The reason that I want to mention that here this morning, or this weekend even, is because in many ways the book of Job is one of the great treasures of the Old Testament, and many of us, myself included till this weekend, haven't really opened up the treasure that Job is. And here's why Job is such a treasure. Because the main focus found, the main theme throughout the book of Job is extremely relevant to our life today. And specifically, extremely relevant to a question that many people ask that keeps them away from the faith, especially our young people. That's a run-on sentence. Wow. The question that Job tries to answer, this question that keeps many young people from fully engaging the faith, is this question. Why do the innocent suffer? That's what Job tries to answer. Why do the innocent suffer? Right now, I am most of the time an idiot. <laughs> when I'm an idiot, I understand why I'm suffering, because I'm an idiot, right? But why is it at times that those who are not idiots, Job, the innocent, in their innocence, still suffer in such a strong way? Or to push this question even further, why is it that an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God permits suffering, not only in our world, but right here in our own home, in our own heart? That's a big question. And for those of us who have responsibility of not only teaching the faith, but defending the faith and living the faith, we need to be able to wrestle with that question and answer it in hopefully a helpful way. And Job allows us to do that. Now, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence this morning. You probably know Job. Maybe you know the backstory. But for those of us who are not familiar, a little bit of a background on who this man is. First off, he is known in the Old Testament as being someone who is blameless. Someone who is upright. Someone who is innocent. In a word, Job is a good man. Additionally, he is extremely wealthy. He is prosperous. He is successful. He is blessed with a large family. He has numerous sons and daughters of his own with his wife. Not only that, he is a faith-filled man. He is pious. He is devout. He is prayerful. He is a man that has God as the center of his life. That's who Job is described in Job chapter 1. Not talked about today, but that's the context. Now, what happens most notably to Job in his life? There's this conversation that takes place between God and Job's primary enemy. 
And the conversation between God and Job's enemy has to do with Job. And the enemy of Job makes this accusation against Job to God. He says this, The only reason Job is such an upright, outstanding, righteous man, the only reason he is just is because of this. Because he has many material blessings. Sound familiar? That hits me right here. That the only reason Job is faithful, his enemy says, is because he has been so blessed in a material way. That's a bit of a gut check, I think. Furthermore, listen to this. Job's enemy says this. If Job were to lose everything, God, if your servant Job were to lose everything, do you know what he would do to you? He would curse you to your face. That's quite the accusation, isn't it? Against this righteous man. He will curse you to your face if he loses his possessions. Now, what happens next? That very thing. In the course of a single day, Job loses everything. His possessions, his cattle, his children tragically die. The only thing he has left in this world is his wife. And his wife says, basically, Job, you're such a loser. My translation. Job, you're you're such a loser that you should curse God. And not only should you curse him, you should take your own life. Happy Father's Day. And not only that, not only does Job lose everything, not only does his wife say, curse God, he is inflicted with extreme sores and a skin disease that he scratches and scratches and scratches to the point that he cannot sleep. This is Job. Then, what happens? How does Job respond? When he finds out that he's being told to curse God because he lost everything, what does Job do? Not that. Listen to what Job says. Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job does the very opposite of what his enemy says he will do. He does not curse God, but he blesses him. Okay. How do we try to make sense of any of this June 20th, 2021? I think it's pretty simple. First, everyone, we need to admit and acknowledge in a humble way that the ways of God will always, in a certain way, be a mystery to us. That the ways of God and the sufferings that we carry will always, always, always confound the human heart. Period. There is no way that our human mind can fully grasp the vastness of what's going on on the level of God, on the level of heaven. Mysterious, confounding, period. And we need to admit that. 
And that's hard for us Americans. That's hard for us human beings. We are not God. Mystery, mystery, confounding. Secondly, if you go back to the opening words from the first reading from Job today, listen. It says this. The Lord addressed Job out of the storm. Where does God speak to Job? Out of the storm. 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 Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4. Boat. Apostles. Storm. Jesus. Sleeping. Cushion. You see the connection? What is Jesus doing? He is asleep on the cushion. He is asleep in the boat. What does the apostles say? Wake up. Don't you see us perishing? Don't you see us in this storm? And what does Jesus say? Come on. Why'd you doubt? Meaning, I'm God. And I have this under control. And I am not indifferent to your suffering. You don't have to wake me up. I am not asleep. But I need you to see that I'm the Lord. And Jesus expresses his divine nature to them in the midst of the storm. What does that mean for us? We try to stay away from storms, don't we? But God wants to speak to us and be God for us. Most, you could say, personally, right in the storm. Where is God? In the storm. The Lord addressed Job from the storm. Nextly, You've seen Christmas Carol, right? Either you read it or you've seen the million renditions of it around Christmas time. Charles Dickens, Scrooge, uh, the ghost of Christmas future at the very end. What does the ghost of Christmas future do for Scrooge? He takes him on a tour. Remember that scene? He takes him to his grave. He says, here's where you're buried. Here's your year of death. And he, he, he weeps and all this stuff. I want you to picture that scene for a second, okay? In the book of Job, God takes Job on this tour of the world. This kind of cosmos tour, a, a tour of the, of the world. And God then says this to Job, and this should hit us right here. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me, where were you? Where were you when I created the stars in the sky? Where were you when I created the seas? Tell me, Job, where were you? And of course, Job has to say, yeah, I wasn't there. You've heard the adage, right, everyone? There are two truths that we can all profess. There is a God, and I am not he. We are not God, but he is. Which brings me to the final point. In the book of Job, he is never explicitly, Job is never explicitly told by God why he suffers in such a strange way. God doesn't give him a report. Okay, here's a 12-page report with 14 points and 17 subpoints. Uh, read it by the end of the day and let me know what you think. Job is never given a systematic report as to why he suffers. He is never told. But God invites Job to see his own suffering, his own cross, his own loss in a much bigger picture, in a much greater context. Namely, the context of faith, the context of God, the context of God taking care of his people, 
where we are most in need. I hope that helps us understand our own suffering. That in the storm is where God wants to take care of his people. In the storm is where God wants to take care of you and I. Let me end with a quick couple easy examples. You know, with the book of Job, it's easy to want to resort to very traumatic things that many of us have experienced in our own life, loss and death, all those things. But I want to go in a little different direction. Think of someone who has applied for a job and they think they're qualified for this job. They think they're the best candidate. They spend all this time on their resume, on their training. They think they're going to get it. They're even promised it in a certain way. And then they don't get it. And they're devastated. And they say, how could this be? God, why are you doing this to me? And then a couple months later, they get a different job. And a whole new world opens up that they didn't even know existed. That's how God works. Or think of somebody who's in a relationship with someone that they think they're going to marry. And it doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden, they meet someone else. And all kinds of blessings come to them that would never have happened. But out of the storm comes a certain calm. Or think of someone, right, who's given a certain task, a certain responsibility, a certain mission, sent somewhere where they don't want to go. And they're like, why am I here? And then over time, they come to see why they're there. It's something they would never have chosen, but God in the midst of the storm, provides for them. Everyone, the point is simple enough. The cross is where true colors show, isn't it? It's easy to be happy-go-lucky when everything's going well. But when you're in the storm, is where true faith, true courage, true virtue is needed. Job had it. Do we?